Hey friends, welcome to Seeking Stories. My name is Ryan. I'm Kristen. And on this channel, our mission is to provide you with new ways to think about and experience the stories that you love. And we're starting something super exciting today, at least I think it's exciting. Um, and that's the restart of the Seeking Stories podcast, um, which we are also putting on YouTube on our BookTube channel. Mm -hmm. So if you're listening to this on iTunes or Stitcher or somewhere online and you want to look at us do this, <laughs> you can head over to YouTube. Uh, conversely, if you're on YouTube right now and just don't have time to watch this video, you can always hop on to uh, one of the podcast platforms and listen to it. On the go. Um, and what we're doing for this uh, podcast relaunch is a, a couple of things. We're doing um, story study breakdowns for the movies and books that we feel like have good content to talk about storytelling. Uh, we're working on Dunkirk, which will hopefully be coming out in a few weeks. But we're also going to be alternating that with something that we, that we call chapter by chapter. And what chapter by chapter is, it, it is going to be um, a breakdown chapter by chapter of books that we, uh, again, feel like have a lot of good storytelling content to them. And uh, things like Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, but they have been made Jane Eyre, The Hobbit, yeah, but the caveat is that they have to be made into movies. So what we're going to be doing with that is um, looking at like the first chapter of Chronicles of Narnia, and then looking at the corresponding scenes from the Chronicles of Narnia movie seeing what the book does well and not well, same with the movie, and then comparing the adaptation and seeing if the adaptation yeah. does things well yeah. as well. We're starting with Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Ooh, that sounds fun. Or if we're in the UK, the Philosopher's Stone. Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Yes. Uh, so we're gonna be breaking down all 17 chapters, just one, one chapter per episode, so mm -hmm. it'll probably take us the rest of 2020 to get through the series. <laughs> yeah. um, we had planned launching this on July 31st, for those of you who know Harry Potter. Um, but we figured with the whole pandemic going on, it just might be nice to get this out a little bit early. Yeah. Um, for those of you still stuck at home, just something to watch or listen to if you tolerate us. Plus, I think we're kind of running out of patience to do it. Yeah. Like, we just want to do it. You yeah. know, I don't want to wait until July. Right. Yeah. So, so. so anyway, yeah, we're going to be doing Harry Potter and the Sorcerers or Philosopher's Stone uh, starting today. So I hope you enjoy. So chapter one of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone is titled The Boy Who Lived. And if you're watching this on the YouTube video, you'll see we have, we kind of like, look like news reports right now. We have all this research we've done spread out in front of us. So if you hear paper shuffling around, that's what we're doing. So a few fun pieces of trivia about the book before we get into the analysis. The book was published on June 26, 1997 in the UK, followed by a US release in 1998. Uh, the first three books of the series um, were released in the UK before they were released in the US. It wasn't until 2000 with Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire that the book received a simultaneous US and UK release. So, kind of interesting that the, the first that. few you know groups of kids in the US had to wait yeah. to read what was going on. Of course, that was really before the internet was widespread, Yeah. so there wasn't as much of the uh, you know, yeah. spoilers and things like that. Yeah. J.K. Rowling started writing the book in 1990 and finished it in 1995. So it was a five-year experience just writing, you know, the tiny little first mm -hmm. book, uh, which is actually pretty common for a lot of writers. The first book takes a long, longer time just to figure out what the world is, who the characters are, where the story's going, mm -hmm. plotting out some of the series. Um, I found doing a lot of my own writing is that it's a lot easier to write um, you know, two, three, four, you know, books or movies or, you know, stories later on in the same mm -hmm. world because you've made a box for yourself 
and you've mm-hmm. almost, in a good way, pigeonholed yourself in that box because there's only so many directions you can go from there. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, once Harry Potter is a Hogwarts, you can't just then take care, you know, Hogwarts and put it in, you know, Australia or something like that. You yeah. know, you've, you've built your world. And you have to follow the rules of that world. J.K. Rowling is the nom de plume, or pen name is the word nom de plume means, <laughs> for Joanne Rowling. Um, a lot of the special features for Harry Potter on the DVD, um, they call her Joe. That's her, her nickname. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the publisher chose to use a nom de plume because they wondered if um, boys wouldn't read the series. If, if it they was knew. written by a woman. Yeah. So that's why J.K. Rowling instead of Joanne So Rowling. 90s. I know, right? <laughs> um, the American publishing company Scholastic um, thought the word philosopher in the title was too archaic, hence the change to sorcerer for American. Typical American. Typical American, exactly. <laughs> Which is fascinating because when they filmed the movie, um, the actors had to do two takes whenever the word philosopher's stone was used. They would say the, the line, um, you know, let's find the philosopher's stone. My horrible British accent. <laughs> and then they'd redo the whole um, take the again. Sorcerer. Using the word sorcerer's stone. So throughout the movie. You Which know, I never knew. Yeah. Because we've, I mean, we've only seen the US release. I mean. Yeah. So next know. time you watch, know. you know, the movie, whether you're in the UK or the US or somewhere all in the world, you know, try to count how many times they say sorcerer or philosopher's stone and know that they had to reshoot so, that on purpose that many times. Yeah. Which, yeah. you know, when you're dealing with child actors, you know, that's, that's a lot. That's kind of annoying, yeah. 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 So let's get into the book, Kristen. We have Uncle Vernon's POV, point of view. We learn that something mysterious and extraordinary has happened. Um, and then Dumbledore and McGonagall meet at night. The Potters are dead. A villain has been defeated. And a baby boy is somehow a hero. And then Hagrid arrives with a baby. And then the baby boy is left on the doorstep of his relatives. Hmm. Um, so a few questions for you, Kristen, oh, just dear. to kind of start the, the conversation. <laughs> Pop quiz. Um, I don't know if you've looked at these questions ahead of time or not. No. Oh no. <laughs> so what sort of, this is a big one, what sort of foreshadowing for the entire series do we see in this chapter? Oh gosh. So anyway, spoilers <laughs> throughout this whole thing. So we're, we're going to assume oh, that, by the way. Yeah, that you've actually read the series or watched the movie or just don't care about spoilers. Yes. So this is your, this is your one and only warning. Yes. Or D all of the above. Yeah. Okay. Um, foreshadowing. Okay. Well, first thing comes to mind is Hagrid, mm-hmm. the relationship between Hagrid and Harry. Yeah. That, that the, just the fact that he's the one who brings Harry and he's already so attached to him, like... Like, you know, you know yeah. like kind of the emotion of it. I didn't think about this until just earlier. I was re, I was kind of re-skimming, kind of re-reading-ish the, the chapter, the second part where Dumbledore and mm-hmm. McGonagall are talking. And it struck me how, because he already gets straight to the whole issue of how everyone but him is afraid to say his Voldemort's name because McGonagall's like, you know who? And he's like... He's like, why is everyone afraid to say it? It's Voldemort. It's like, for 11 years, I've been trying to convince people. And I just find it interesting that by the end, it is a big deal. Yeah. At the very, very end, like, saying his name is is a problem. Mm-hmm. And, of course, they don't realize that right away. Yeah. You know, and because Harry is the same way. He takes after Dumbledore, like, I'm not going to call him, you know, who his name's Voldemort. Right. Because it, it's in Deathly Hallows, right, where some sort his of spell name, is made. His name becomes like a... Homing beacon. Yeah, like where you are. beacon. Yeah. Which is super interesting. Yeah. So I find that interesting that right from the bat, he's like, makes this kind of big deal about how it's not a big deal, but it does become becomes a big, a big deal. deal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, on the same note of um, Voldemort, you know, that you end this chapter with Harry Potter, the boy who lived. Mm-hmm. And then in Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, Voldemort mm-hmm. says that same line. Yeah. Harry Potter, 
the boy who lived come to die. Mm -hmm. And so it brings it full circle. Yeah. It's almost symbolic in a way where we just keep, you know, you keep hitting on the boy who lived over and over and over again in the series. Yeah. Especially throughout the first book, you know, Harry Potter's like, who am I? You know, who is yeah. this, what is this whole thing? And then he has to learn about that. And that's a traumatic part of knowing that his parents were, were killed by a dark wizard rather than a car accident. Yeah. Like he's told by his, his um, you know, adopted parents, his aunt yeah. and uncle. One of the things that I love as far as foreshadowing goes and it just shows the amount of attention to detail that J.K. Rowling put in the story is that Hagrid references the young Sirius Black mm -hmm. in the first oh, chapter. The motorbike. Yeah, the motorbike pop kind of came to mind too. Yeah, exactly. Just... It was it was um, Sirius Black's motorbike. Yeah. And you know, we don't hear that name again really until in, with three. purpose anyway until book three. Yeah. And then he becomes such an important figure in, in Harry's life. Um, you know, the the focus of book three and then his godfather later on so the fact that you know who knows for sure how much jk rowling really know how important the character was i would assume she knew a lot because she just you know she knows this world inside and out um but just setting these little kind of foreshadowing seeds throughout the story and saying you know this character that's a throwaway line that you know as a first-time reader mm -hmm. you don't you know you gloss over that almost you don't yeah. think about who is serious black yeah at least i yeah i didn't and then you really realize later on how important this is. So it makes rereading the series that much more fun in a way, in a way, um, because you have all these little clues that you might not have caught the first time, but that set things up later on. My next question for Kristen and for for you, you know, if you're watching on YouTube, feel free to you know talk to us more in the comments below or on Twitter. Um, we want this to be a back and forth between you guys as much as possible with this weird medium that is yeah. us staring at the screen or talking into a microphone, and then you guys <laughs> see it later on. <laughs> what sort of questions does Rowling leave for her audience? And I'll, I'll start <laughs> by giving questions. yeah right by, by, by giving you guys some kind of context. Is that good stories? You always want to be asking your audience questions, or you know if you're not or you know, a writer or a storyteller, yeah, you want stories you can soon to be asking you questions. We want to know more. Uh, one when we care, um, but also if the, if the you know the story creator doesn't give us questions that we want answered. You know, We're there's almost no point in, in, yeah, in reading or watching. Yeah. yeah. Um, so good stories a lot of times hook their audiences by giving them, you know, some little mystery, mm -hmm. and then um, helping them see how that mystery is revealed. And good stories will also, as right as they're, you know, solving a mystery, giving you a new one. So it's this constant, mm -hmm. you know, laying the tracks in front of the train, yeah. always staying in front of the audience, so that the audience always has something to be like, but what about this? But what about this? But what about this? Yeah. 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 So how does how does Rowling do that in in the first chapter? Or what is how or what does she? What Both. Either way. I mean, how, okay. So um, let's start with like some of the questions themselves. Well, first of all, is I mean, obviously we know kind of who Harry is. Like we know he's this baby, and mm -hmm. um, but we don't know anything about this Dark Lord. Yeah. And really, we you know coming in brand new to for someone coming in brand new to the story, you don't know anything about their world like mm -hmm. you know little tiny bits so it's like there's all these questions of like well, who are these people and what do they do and how are they different and what does this mean for Harry? like what's going to happen to harry even the idea that that um you see the kind of people that the dursleys are yeah. and then the gonagal assessment of them and you're like how in the world is he gonna what kind of life is he gonna have with them mm -hmm. you kind of get this how is harry gonna mm -hmm. do in this family that we already don't like um, and don't like him. We've established that already. It makes you care about Harry to start with before we even know who he is. Yeah, and uh, 
I mean, yeah, it's kind of the, the question. It's the, we've got, we got questions about the world. Mm -hmm. We've got questions about some of the characters, like Harry and Dumbledore and... And you see McGonagall transfigure from a cat. Oh, yeah. It's like, how, how are they doing this? You get an um, idea that magic is somehow there, but yeah. why? Why is this important? Yeah. And also, in a sense, you know, if you're kind of thinking about it, you get a question of, well, why is this story important? Because the bad guy's already been defeated. Mm -hmm. So what's next? Yeah. Like, there's got to be something we're missing. Well, the whole idea of the know? boy who lived is like, why did he live? How did he live? Because no one knows yet. That's one of the big questions McGonagall asks, and Dumbledore is like, we may can only guess. We, don't, we may never know. How does she... Get us asking those questions by not giving us all the information. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. By giving, giving us just enough to know there's something else. Right, making there. us interested. Mm -hmm. By also giving us a character to care about. Yeah. He doesn't care about, you know, a yeah. little baby. I know. So, this is the hard question. <sighs> Do you agree with Dumbledore's decision to leave Harry with the Dursleys? And I want to know, we both want to know your guys' opinion too. Yeah. Think about it before we answer because don't want to be influenced by us. Um, I mean, you know, you want to say, especially if you know the series, mm -hmm. like having read them already and you go back in hindsight, um, or even just right off the bat, if you can kind of think about like what kind of people they are, you want to say, no, like, why did he do that to him? But it's like, yeah, he really needed to. Yeah. Because it's the, um, you know, Dumbledore's point of it's better if he grows up away of all mm -hmm. the fame and, you know, fame and all that because it makes him the kind of person he becomes. Yeah. You know, without the type of upbringing Harry experienced, he would not be the Harry, he would not at all be the Harry Potter we get in the rest of the yeah. stories. He would be like a Draco mm -hmm. if he'd grown up around the, the fame. Like the that. fame. Yeah. He'd be Which more is exactly like why Harry or Dumbledore didn't send, yeah. or sent him to the Dursleys. Yeah. You know, it, it makes me think of, you know, the, I always, it's really strange, but there's a deleted scene. <laughs> it's going to sound silly, so bear with me. From the movie Bruce Almighty. The character Bruce basically kind of gets God's powers yeah. for like a week or something. I mean, it's a comedy. And uh, he, basically the whole point is that he screws up. Yeah. He does. He screws everything up. And so at one point, he when he starts hearing the prayers of everyone, <laughs> it's freaking him out. So he, he just to make it all easier, he just answers everyone yes. Yeah. <laughs> and in this deleted scene, the God character is showing him the consequences of that decision of just saying yes to everyone, just automatically saying yes. Mm -hmm. And the example is this little boy, not really little, but maybe fifth grade boy mm -hmm. who is in PE class and he's getting made fun of and picked on because of his lack of physical strength. And, and so he's, his prayer was like, make me, I don't remember what it was, make me strong or make me whatever. Mm -hmm. And so when Bruce answers yes, he isn't picked on and bullied and he becomes physically able and strong or whatever. And the God character kind of shows him how that changes the boy's future, so yeah. to speak. That he's like, he was going to be like this, you know, artistic, like poet who wrote really deep, meaningful stuff that had a lot of impact on people, you know, mm -hmm. like basically poured out, you know, art that made a difference. And yeah. he says now he's, this is what he's going to turn into. And he kind of shows him, he becomes the bully. Yeah. And the line that really stuck out to me from the scene that I'm like, man, I wish they kept that in the movie. He said, sometimes to make a beautiful picture, you have to paint with dark colors. And it's, yeah. like, it's so true. Well, that's and why that's, Harry is so, yeah. you know, sympathetic and empathetic to his fellow students mm -hmm. because he knows what it's like to not be, be loved and cared for. Yeah. Um, you know, he did he deserve to be loved? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but he didn't really get that. 
Yeah. And that helps him in his in his character journey. So there you go. Bruce Almighty in <laughs> Harry Potter. <laughs> but you didn't see that coming. Right. Well another thing I love from the book perspective is just how Rowling characterizes Dumbledore and McGonagall, and you instantly see how different they are just by the words they use, uh, or she uses. For example, mm -hmm. McGonagall has a piercing stare. She sniffed angrily, There's said impatiently. She has a lot of piercing. Yeah. A sharp glance, <laughs> said coldly, voice trembled, jumped to her feet grudgingly, but then also whispered, patting Hagrid gingerly on the arm. So that she does have, you know, she's a soft a little, side to her. She's like a prickly exterior, but soft in the inside. Yeah, and you learn that as the series goes on, and again, more foreshadowing. Yeah. Um, but Dumbledore, he's, you see him more as a solemn, patient, wise, outside-the-box character. Um, you know, he turned to smile, says, Dear Professor, to McGonagall, mm -hmm. said gently, calmly, bowed his head heavily, glumly, gave a great sniff, mm -hmm. sounding relieved. Um, and these are just kind of, you know, great little characterization moments that you instantly get an idea right from chapter one, who Dumbledore is, who McGonagall is, mm -hmm. which is excellent because you, those become two of the most important, mm -hmm. um, you know, parental figures in Harry's life. Yeah. Um, probably two of the top four, if you then add in Sirius and Lupin, mm -hmm. um, maybe the, the Weasley parents as well. Yeah. Uh, but I'll say that, yeah. that as a collective or the people who most yeah. impact Harry in a good way, um, as far as the adults go. Yeah. So knowing who these characters are from the beginning a little mm -hmm. bit, again, more, more foreshadowing, more yeah. setup. Yeah. And you also, through not just their own characters, but through their interaction, you, you get the idea that that of course they both you get the professor thing so like okay what do they teach but also you get the idea that Dumbledore is kind of the, one the alpha yeah, yeah the, he's like he's the one the one everyone defers <laughs> yeah. to yeah. he's making the decisions yeah but there's also some great show don't tell moments um, you see when the um, the characters are leaving Harry on the doorstep um, it says Hagrid's shoulders shook and instead of saying Hagrid was sad we physically see you know, through the the pros, mm -hmm. you know, what Hagrid is going through. And mm -hmm. that's so much more powerful than, you know, he's sad, or even he cried. Yeah. But the great thing is that even though we're introduced to the strange world of magic, we're never overwhelmed with too many details that are out mm -hmm. of place or unplaceable. You know, we don't talk about Hogwarts or Hogsmeade or any how the magic works, spells. We're given just enough to understand. We don't even, they don't even say the word magic. Yeah. I mean, you get an idea that there is magic by things Shooting like- Shooting stars. Yeah, and transfiguration. <laughs> yeah. Um, but these are things that you don't need any extra context yeah. to learn. We're not info dumped by any means. Yeah, we get just enough that we don't know about to make us want more, but not too much that it's overwhelming. Yeah. yeah. So now we're getting to the controversial side of things. Uh -huh. The movie. So, <laughs> quick scene outline. Dumbledore and McGonagall arrive on Privet Drive, the street that Vernon and his family live on. Mm -hmm. Hagrid arrives with the baby boy, and the baby boy is left on the doorstep of his relatives. With talking in the movie. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we completely lose the Uncle Vernon intro. Yes, yes. So uh, my question to start with is why do you think the Uncle Vernon subplot was cut for the story? And do you agree with this? Um, well, yeah. And you too. Do you agree with this? <laughs> yeah, because in the book it's great because you just get the narration telling mm -hmm. you his inner thoughts and whatever. If you try to put that on screen, that's just kind of boring. You'd basically be following a guy around for five ten minutes with no one talking you don't get his inner monologue you don't get yeah and 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 the worst thoughts and changing turning inner monologue and inner thoughts into film dialogue to try to put that turn it's that into dialogue nightmare. is yeah it's it's usually it's rarely ever worth the effort um yeah. but 
And and also because because the point in the book is to set up the the <laughs> the overwhelmingly ordinary world mm -hmm. of the Dursleys. Yeah. So in the movie, all you have to do is show a normal looking neighborhood where all the houses look the same, and it's like, hey, it's a normal world like ours. And then, wait a minute, that's that guy's weird looking. Wait, that's weird. And like, okay, that's definitely not normal. So right. Well, also in movies, you have so much more limited, you know, real estate time to yeah. tell their story. Yeah. You no, know, Harry Potter is the, the book showed us can yes. be as long as you want them to be to an extent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, book one is how many pages long? It's not even 300 or barely 300 pages whereas you get to book five and it is something like 800 900 pages long and so you have something this like wide that. range of of yeah. you know the, the length of the book whereas the movie it's anywhere from two to almost three hours depending on which movie it is yeah and that is really the generally accepted time um for for movies two to three hours once in yeah. a while you can go a little bit longer than three. Some movies are a little bit shorter than two. Yeah. Um, but it's something a lot of times has to go. Yeah. And that's the thing that I found that people don't a lot of times accept with the Harry Potter adaptations. Mm -hmm. Why this go? Why that go? It's, you can't have everything. You know, yeah. That's just the nature of... Or you'll end up with a 16-hour movie. Exactly. <laughs> um, you know, at the time the movies were made, you know, miniseries weren't really, you know, mm -hmm. a, a big thing. You know, maybe now if the movies are being adapted, you might do, you know, like a Netflix or Amazon 10-part yeah. 10, 10 series. Yeah. Um, which I have my own thoughts and opinions on that. It's, this isn't a good time for that conversation. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, at, at the early 2000s, you know, movies were the way to go mm -hmm. for adapting stories. So, you you know, you have to mm -hmm. cut somewhere in a character who again, is important, but really in the grand scheme of the story, not important, is one of the most obvious choices you can make as far as yeah. letting something go. Yeah. So now the part that I love, the movie, <laughs> the movie stuffs. Uh, let's talk about the visual storytelling. Um, how does the art direction and cinematography specifically, we can talk about sound and music too if we want, but how do those elements contribute to the movie version? Okay, so... I'm excited. <laughs> I know. And I feel very underqualified to even discuss most of these things. You're, you've been on but, the movie sets to Well, okay. okay. Cinematography, I don't... I, okay. yeah. I'll leave that to you, and maybe you should explain what that is for people who may not know. But well, let me do that real quick then. So cinematography <laughs> is specifically the the camera choices, the lighting choices. So why do they choose a certain camera angle? Why were things lit a certain way? Why did the camera move or not move? The framing. The, the, yeah, framing. Mm -hmm. um, there's much more that goes into it than that, but that's the basics that you would need to know for this yeah. session. <laughs> but the art direction, um, I mean, the set design mm -hmm. and production design, I think, I mean, at least in the scene, you get obviously the, the normal neighborhood, all the house, like little cookie cutter houses, yeah. and you know, you get the idea of the kind of suburb area that that we're in. Um, you know, you do get the design is is kind of not very American looking. Yeah, for the you first scene specifically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you kind of get to say like, well, this isn't it. for those for American viewers. Right. You know, like this doesn't really look like something in America because especially the lamps and like they don't really look. I don't know. It's yeah. just a little. I, to me, it doesn't stand out as very American looking. Which it's interesting because for that the Privet Drive location, so that's the street that Harry lives on and grows up on and where Dumbledore and McGonagall and Hagrid all meet. So the filmmakers started shooting Privet Drive on location. And what on location means is they actually found a location. A real a real, And then went and filmed there. Um, but then they basically, after a few days of shooting, it was just kind of you know hard to maintain that environment. Because people um, live there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That'd be kind of So annoying. they moved to what's called a back lot. And a back lot is, the best way to think of a back lot in movies is literally like a parking lot. 
um, where it's not like on a movie studio property where they can build sets outside. Yeah. Um, so think of your backyard and a parking lot, merge them together, add a little bit of privacy, and then build movie sets outside. They a, just built a the lot neighborhood. Of that. Was it like eight or nine they houses? They built ten houses, ten, yeah. and they kept that set up for all eight films. Yeah. The crazy thing is that most of the sets that they built, they kept up for the entirety of the ten-ish years it took to film the movie. Because they use a lot of the same ones. Yeah. So um, for example, the Great Hall, which shows up, you know, a few chapters into the book, they built that out of like good materials like wood and stone and to basically stand the test of, have, yeah, of having a film crew in it for 10 years to the point where they've kept it up and now you can like you can pay money it. to go see it. Yeah. You can actually yeah. pay money to go see a lot of the sets. Yeah. I mean, I could gush about this stuff forever. So where they filmed Harry Potter is called Leavesden Studios in, uh, in, I think it's in London, but it's, it's in England somewhere. It's a converted airplane parts factory from World War typical. II. Yeah. Airplane. Um, uh, paint Places. facilities. Yeah. Big, and big warehouses. It became available as a film studio uh, in the late 90s. That's where Star Wars Episode 1 filmed. Mm -hmm. And then Harry Potter took it over for the next 10 years. Nice. Um, but here's another interesting fact is that the director of the first two movies, Chris Columbus, mm -hmm. who um, was famous for Home Alone, that was his big mm. break. He did the first okay. two Home Alone movies. Um, he spent uh, two weeks writing a script prior to his interview to be the director. He really wanted to do uh, he it. He really wanted this job so yeah. much. And that's one of the reasons why he got the role is that he, or the job as the director, he showed so much passion for this project. It wasn't like, oh, you know, he'd be, he'd be good because he works with children. One of the reasons why he was hired for sure. Yeah. But he just loved the story so much that without pay, without knowing he was going to get the job, he took two weeks out of his own time and wrote a version of the script and be like, this is how I would do it. Yeah, yeah. So. I wonder how much of that is the same. Or I, some, I wonder what similarities yeah. I don't. I don't know be. if that is available anywhere on the interwebs to find. Probably not. Yeah. Um, but Warner Brothers obtained the rights to the book um, a mere two years after the book was published and Rowling sold the, the rights to the first four books at the time um, for a million pounds, which at the time was uh, close to two million dollars. And of course she has now made so much from the books and the movies. She is the yeah. richest woman or person maybe in, in England. She has Crazy. more money than the Queen. <laughs> so the art direction. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so the set and production design and everything, I think, does a good job of mm -hmm. setting up the world. Yeah. But also the costuming of the people, mm -hmm. the characters that you do see. Because um, you don't get to see the normal people, like the Dursleys, but Correct. you get to see, you see them in the next scene. Mm -hmm. But you see the, the odd dress of right. Dumbledore and, and McGonagall and, you know, and that's obviously a clue to like, okay, these people aren't normal. Yeah. <laughs> well, even the whole action of the... the the illuminator popping off all the lights. Um, it's a great opening image. It's what we call the Kickstarter a lot yeah. of times. It's what's like a key yeah. image or line of dialogue yeah. or item or even yeah. a scene or a sequence that kind of yeah. sets the tone of the story and instantly from the yeah. beginning of the story, and, yeah. we see this magical element. Yeah. It's like, okay, and, this yeah. is different. And the fact that Dumbledore <laughs> just kind of appears out of the darkness. Yeah, I, I <laughs> miss like, that so many times when I watch the yeah. movie. It's so it's just kind of like you're watching and all of a sudden he's like, He's there. Yeah. You're like, whoa, where did he come from? Good old Richard Harris. Oh, yeah. Which, here's another fun fact for you, is that Richard Harris actually was not going to say yes to playing Dumbledore, but his granddaughter was so distraught with the idea of him not playing, him not playing it that she said if he didn't take the role, she would never speak to him again. That's <laughs> pretty deep. So he took, he took the role and did a wonderful yeah. job for two movies before he passed. sadly passed away after the second movie was filmed. Yeah. But. but great, great actor. If you haven't seen him in The Count of Monte Cristo, he's great in that too. Yeah. So, do you want to say anything about the cinematography, Mr. Filmmaker? Um, I'm actually going to say the cinematography for a little bit later on. Okay. Um, I just, this 
episode's getting a little bit long. I'll have to save some things for some okay. other episodes. So I do okay. want to get some more of the, the fun stats. Yeah, yeah. Um, is that on opening day, um, the, the film was released in 2001. Uh, the film made $32.3 million, which at the time was an opening day record in the U.S. Yeah. Um, in the U.S., it was the highest grossing film of 2001, narrowly beating... The Fellowship of the Ring, which was released exactly five weeks That's later. Crazy. So, and those two movies, I think, were the the top grossing movies of two thousand one. Yeah, it's just crazy that two movies, two series, franchises based on books that are absolutely adored yeah. by most fans. Not everyone likes. And their fantasy. Yeah, and their fantasy which, came out within five weeks of each other. Which at the and time kind of set set the bar for yeah. fantasy. I was because at the time fantasy movies weren't. Eh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they were, yeah. 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 So. Yeah, that's that's impressive. So getting some box office figures, and if you want to skip ahead a minute, if you don't care about the stuff, that's uh, that's fine. He loves it. I love it. Boxofficemojo.com uh, is <laughs> fantastic for any type of statistic you want to know about. <laughs> if you want to know what is the highest grossing PG-13 movie that came out on a Wednesday in the 90s, you can filter by <laughs> things like that. So at the time that it came out and had ended its theatrical run, it was the eighth most successful movie ever released in the U.S. Wow. Um, again, not, not factoring in things like ticket sales, because if you look at ticket sales, you know, Gone with the Wind is the most successful movie of all time in the U.S. Mm -hmm. um, whereas if you... Like number of tickets. Yeah, number, sold, number not, of tickets Not sold. amount of money. Exactly. Where if you look at, you know, just amount of pure money, mm -hmm. um, you know, Star Wars Episode Seven is the most successful movie. Yeah. Um, so just looking at, you know kind of the pure money side of things, it was the eighth most successful movie. It was the top ten in the yeah. U.S., which is fantastic yeah. for, you know, a fantasy movie. Yeah. Um, it also received Oscar nominations for art direction, original score, and costume design. The sad thing, though, is that overall, the eight film series earned 12 Academy Award nominations and did not win any of them. That's sad. Um, I, but, know, I would want to know what they, who they lost to. For as as we do the different um, yeah. movies and books, but we'll talk about it. Or you can just go look it up yourself. Um, the interesting thing, though, is that the Harry Potter prequel, Fantastic Beasts from Where to Find Them, um, did win the Oscar for Best Costumes. Okay, Kristen, so the unforgivable question. <laughs> Does the adaptation of this particular chapter, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, mm -hmm. to the very particular opening scenes of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone movie, yes. do they work? Not looking at any of the rest of the movie, just this, just this little bit. I think so. Technically, if you are just only looking at this scene without reference to anything else in the movie and not knowing what comes next, you could question the decision to completely leave out anything about Vernon Dursley. Yeah. You know, and his character. Think about it like logically. Mm -hmm. <laughs> logically. Logically. Um, <laughs> Bonus points, anyone who knows what movie that's from. <laughs> uh, drop it in the comment. <laughs> Obscure movie quotes. Logically. Um, but, you know, we know he's been dropped off with his aunt uncle, just like he is in the book. So you know you're going to see, even if you don't know how the adaptation yeah. is going to go, you know you're going to see Vernon Dursley and his family. So it's like, even though you don't see what you get from the book chapter of him, you are going to get him. And it's like, do you trust... The filmmakers enough that they're you're going to get the character characterization later mm -hmm. because there's just you can't fit it in here right and mm -hmm. i honestly i think opening the movie the way they did is more interesting yeah with the mysterious like nighttime and then the figure appears from the darkness like to me that's more visually engaging mm -hmm. than like watching a normal guy go to about his normal life like, right yeah well so. and it's you know focuses on precision storytelling it makes mm -hmm. it about harry and harry alone yeah um, and it does condense a lot of information. For example, we oh, yeah. have McGonagall saying, 
um, they're the worst sort of muggles, referring to Vernon and his um, you know, family, mm-hmm. and then Dumbledore replying, they're the only family he has. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot of the book discussion and yeah. things we know about Vernon and just encapsulate it into those two lines, yeah. which is a great part of the storytellers yeah. uh, to figure out how to take all that and put drop it into a few lines so we get the idea of yeah. what needs to be told. Yeah. Um, and again, focuses on Harry, um, which is mm-hmm. the, the central focus of the yeah. story. Um, Well, and it gives you the very first character you see, even though it's not actually Harry, it's Dumbledore, who is one of, besides Harry, one of the most important characters in the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And to start off with him makes a little bit more sense than the first person you see is a side character, essentially. Exactly. And also, so the the scene is adapted from um, basically the first chapter of the book, which is roughly 16 pages. Yeah. Um, and the scene opening scene is four minutes long. Mm-hmm. And you think of it that those 16 pages, roughly half of that was Vernon. Yeah. So if you, it was taken, exactly half. if you had taken, you know, that, then you, you know, and then added that in, that could have been, you know, an eight, an minute, eight minute prologue. prologue. And they had already cut a lot of dialogue. the dialogue between Dumbledore and McGonagall and Haggard out. Yeah. So, you know, you're looking at maybe like a 12 minute prologue. And at that point, that's just, that's, you just got to get into the story. That's too long. Um, so I think they did what they had to do again to go back to economic storytelling. Mm-hmm. How do we make things uh, as obvious as we can for the audience while at the same time mm-hmm. adding mystery, focusing on the hero, mm-hmm. um, focusing on the world. Uh, without taking you know forever and a day to do it. So um, we've talked about the book, we've talked about the movie, we've given uh, analysis of specific parts of the story. Um, now, just as a reminder, this adaptation ranking we're going to give does not reflect the whole book or the whole movie. Just, just the, chapter. the chapter of the corresponding yeah. scenes, just the part we've talked, just the part we've talked about today. So our adaptation ratings, um, <laughs> we've tried we tried to do a five star rating system that is a little bit of a spin off the lines from the book. We're not 100% locked into these exact <laughs> he made quotes, them. so if you have better ideas, please drop them in the comments <laughs> below. With the exception of a couple of them, I'm totally fine with changing them. Um, so one star is, I hope you're pleased with yourselves. We could have been killed, or worse, adapted the scene. <laughs> and you guys know what that's from, I'm sure. Uh, number two stars is, have you ever seen anything quite as pathetic? Three stars is, it is our choices, Harry, that make a fair adaptation. Four stars is I solemnly swear that this is quite good. I swear. <laughs> and number five is don't change a thing, you filthy mud blood. So, kind of cheesy, I know. If there's anything better, we'll, we'll change it. I think we gave it a four. I gave it a four too. Yeah. Why'd you give it a four? I guess because five is such a high standard. Yeah. Like, it's hard to know really. Is that the best, some absolute best something can be? Mm-hmm. You know, I, it, I don't say four because I can think of something specific that I would have done different. Like I can't look at it and go like, oh, well I would have done this and I would have done, I can't really think of anything, but it's like, but I don't know. Yeah. It, well, I've, I have a similar thought because um, yeah. I do agree this, it's a great scene how it's adapted, but mm-hmm. it's definitely not the best in the series. We want to reserve that for the five for like the gold state or like, oh my goodness, this yeah. could not have been adapted better. Yeah, yeah. Um, because it is sad to lose, you know, Vernon to an extent. I don't think there was a good way around that, mm-hmm. but it happened. Yeah. Um, but my, my little bit of gripe is I feel like they could have thrown in a tiny bit of more foreshadowing on the whole Voldemort, Harry, mm. kind of an antagonistic side of thing. He's just foreshadowed yeah. a little bit in the movie, and they didn't quite do that. It gives us just enough information for a movie-length prologue. Um, too much more really would have befuddled the audience you know, with more information. Just, or bored us. Or, or bored us, exactly. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, the other thing I, I wrote down is that it, it's a little bit sad for me to lose the wizard celebrating in the street. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, you can't have everything. Yeah. 
Um, so there you have it. There is our Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone or Philosopher's Stone chapter breakdown. One. Chapter one breakdown. Uh, we'll return in a few weeks for chapter two, and our plan is to do this every few weeks um, for the whole first book of the series. Um, after book one is done, all 17 chapters, we may do book two right away, we may do something else. But we, we, we want to talk to you guys, we love interacting with yeah. you, um, so if you're again on YouTube, drop a comment, talk to us on Twitter. If you're listening to the podcast, you know um, you can find us on YouTube or Twitter uh, as well. But somewhere, I guess around here, we'll put the playlist <laughs> for the series when more episodes do become available, so yeah. of course there's nothing to be there now, yeah. uh, but later on we'll do that. And keep an eye out for bonus videos. Yes. Sometimes, yeah. We can't, can't promise exactly when yet. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for watching this super long video or listening. or listening to it. And we'll see you in the upcoming weeks for Chapter 2, The Vanishing Glass. Ooh.